RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Jim DeVico. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 397 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded live on Tuesday, January 22nd, 2019, and available for download or streaming on Friday, January 25th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Anthony. Well, Kenna, we missed you last week, but Grace did a phenomenal job, and we are sure to have her back Should any one of us ever have to take a break, uh, we know that we can rely on our friends over at Women at Warp and Mission Log and Trek Files to come in and and swoop in. But yes, you were missed. How was your trip? It was really good, actually. Uh, Back to the freezing cold East Coast. And I cannot tell you how happy I am to be back in Southern California. But uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear you guys were well taken care of while I was away. We were, we were, and it's good to have you back. So why don't you tell us what we've got coming up this week? Well, this week we're checking out Alex Kurtzman's vision for Star Trek Discovery's second season, and how Discovery's cinematic nature could affect Star Trek on the silver screen. CBS has plans for what's after After Trek, and CBS All Access Executive VP of Original Content Julie McNamara talks about handling Star Trek's presence in the digital marketplace. In Star Trek Online and gaming news, the ninth anniversary of Star Trek Online has arrived, and we'll give you all the details. And Star Trek Timelines is also celebrating an anniversary with new Borg content. In our on-screen segment, we're discussing the Star Trek Discovery Season 2 debut called Brother. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, remember that those hailing frequencies are always open, and we love to hear from you between episodes, so please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. It's that time where we need to thank our patrons, the folks who keep this show running from week to week. With their contributions, we can do upgrades like the awesome new service that we're using called Restream that allows us to transmit our live broadcast recordings on places like Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube. This amazing new platform allows us to reach so many more fans of the show in whatever format they enjoy most. And we wouldn't be able to do that without the support of our patrons via Patreon.com. We have several donation levels for you to take a look at from a dollar up to 75 or more. All it takes is $1 to help contribute to the ongoing production of Priority One. Now, of course, we understand that a financial contribution may not be in the cards, so there are other ways that you can help support Priority One. For instance, you can take our listener survey that Ken is going to talk to you about in just a second. 
or you can also share our social media posts on Facebook or Twitter when, whenever we post, whether it's the episode or a community question or some kind of news. Let your friends know that they can get their weekly dose of Star Trek news right here on Priority One. Before we move on, we want to remind you about our very special event. On February 16th, we're celebrating our 400th episode with a 12-hour Extra Life event. For 12 hours, the Priority One team will be playing games live on Twitch to raise money for Extra Life's partnership with Children's Miracle Network and the Philadelphia Children's Hospital. We'll have giveaways from our friends like the Roddenberry Store and more. And again, all of the proceeds go to Extra Life and the Philadelphia Children's Hospital. That's happening on Saturday, February 16th, starting at 1 p.m. Help us raise funds to give children a fighting chance. And we need one last favor, Captains. It's time for another Priority One listener survey. We've created a simple Google form with some questions that will help us better understand what you think about the show how you think we could improve, or what you wish we did better. Priority One isn't asking for any names, numbers, or emails, but we can't speak for whatever Google might be doing. But let's be real, you can probably bet Google already has that information. We'll have links to the listener survey in the show notes, and we'll be posting it on our social media channels over the next couple of weeks. Please take a moment to sound off about what you think about the show. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Well, this last week was the release of Star Trek Discovery's second season. And while the critical reviews have been overwhelmingly positive, the premiere episode Brother set up some interesting questions about where Discovery's second season was going and how faith versus science would play a part in that story. Talking to The Hollywood Reporter, series co-writer, showrunner, and Star Trek captain Alex Kurtzman spoke about the opening scene of Brother, saying, quote, What I love about that opening is that it jumps you to this incredible bird's-eye-view perspective of how small we are in the universe and how massive the cosmos are. Burnham is really going to be wrestling this season with her place in the universe and what her purpose is. Spock is doing the same, end quote. In regards to the inexplicable red bursts that kickstart season two's adventure and how they affect our leads, Kurtzman says, quote, in the original series, religion doesn't exist. Yet faith is something that has always been a major topic in different ways. The idea of this mystery that has no answer immediately suggests a presence or force greater than anything anyone has ever known. It was really intriguing to us, end quote. Series star Sonequa Martin-Green adds to Kurtzman's thoughts, telling The Hollywood Reporter, quote, Here I am, Sonequa, woman of God, portraying a woman of science. A woman who is bound to facts, math, and the logic. She's definitely exploring her humanity, but there's something about finding the courage and the security within to not trust those numbers and instead trust your heart and your gut to hope for something that isn't readily in front of you. Can people heal enough, individually and collectively, to trust the facts but hope for the best? End quote. For a link to the article, check out the show notes. I don't know how I feel about this. And in fact, I so I read this story a couple of times before we started recording, and I have still failed to kind of come up with, you know, something poignant to say about it. I, I'm of two minds. I mean, I always think that the examination of uh, faith 
faith slash religion versus science is something interesting to examine. But on the flip side, I worry that discovery does not have a great track record of delivering us a strong message. And I feel like this is yet another opportunity for them to waffle. And Alex Kurtzman's quote that you read right at the start, it's very derivative. I think that for him to come out and say that Burnham's going to be wrestling with her place in the universe and what her purpose is. I mean, I don't know if you guys could hear my eyes rolling from through the internet, but I mean, this is this is such a common trope with science fiction. It hurts. We get it. Science versus faith slash religion. Like, do you think I'm dumb? Like, as a viewer, do you think I'm stupid? Do you think this hasn't occurred to me before? And so I'm a little disappointed. However, it is kind of an interesting thing to think about. And I personally like the philosophy where that says, you know, faith and science are not mutually exclusive. So I'm 50-50 on whether I think this is good news or not. I'll have to wait. Ask me again at the midpoint of the series or at the end of the series. So I obviously am a huge Discovery fan, but I'm going to have to agree with you on that point, Kenna. I feel like they're their pushing of a message is pretty weak. However, I think that when you do something like this that has been done before, it's because you want to do it in a new way. And so my hope is that they have a new and unique take on this and it will allow us to explore it in a new way and and possibly even in a way that is hopefully, and hopefully they deliver it in a new way that possibly is a reflection of things that are going on in our world today. And I think this can be explored in a modern day setting with new sci-fi and, and that's my hope. Okay, so I get it. It's a very typical trope, right? We see this, my goodness, we see this in Star Wars, right? I mean, is the Force the Force or is it Metachlorian? Who knows? Okay, it's not midichlorians. Carry on. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is, I think one of the reasons that this keeps coming back as a trope or keeps coming back as a recurring theme in science fiction is that there never really is an answer. And how can you tell that story? And I have to say, I mean, given today's political nature and political tensions, socio-political tensions, I'm okay with them exploring this and addressing and shining light to some things that a fact is a fact versus alternative facts, right? We can spin into this very easily, but I'm okay with them not exploring other stories to tell given where we are as a world right now, United States and the UK. I wanna make one really clear distinction that faith and science are not mutually exclusive, which I said before. There's a, there is a limit to science that we can't go beyond. And that limit, what we know in science is based on bias, which is based on belief, which has a certain amount of faith to it. So the two things are not mutually exclusive. And I hope that what we get from Discovery is an examination of that and also a message, you know, not just, hmm, isn't this interesting, which is what we got in season one. So g give me some of this wrestling with her place in the universe and give me something concrete to go on. Give me something inspirational and then I'll be okay. I want to add this personal anecdote for whatever reason I feel compelled to do so. When I was growing up watching TNG, I grew up in a very, very conservative Baptist household. Church every Sunday, youth group. I was really active in the youth group as a teenager. At one point I wanted to be a pastor. Interestingly enough, I feel that Star Trek enhanced my, my faith and my ability to look at scripture and look at Christianity with that perspective you're talking about, that they are not mute, science and faith are not mutually exclusive to one another. I was more informed. I was able to ask questions about my faith and about my, my religion, who are, which 
also are different to open my mind a little better than if I were to just be exclusive to scripture and exclusive to faith. So I, I hope that they, they kind of do these, these, these questions, that they explore these questions. Also, I want to add, I think it's great that Sonequa Martin-Green, who is a self-proclaimed woman of God, is the actor portraying this, the one who's battling these things. I think that's going to give her a very, it's going to give her a unique perspective uh, as an actor to portray Michael Burnham. As we mentioned, Discovery's Brother episode has been hitting the right marks with critics, and many have pointed to the cinematic nature of the show. That isn't an accident, and Alex Kurtzman drove the point home in preparation for this season's red carpet debut. In a CBS All Access YouTube video, Kurtzman said of the production, quote, You know, we really tried to kick it up a notch in terms of the, the filmmaking style this year. I see where the Federation puts its pennies. Do not covet thy neighbor starship, Commander. We really want to totally blur the line between movies and television. There are sequences in the premiere that are that are as big as any movie you'd make. He echoed these comments in an interview with Deadline. Quote, The line between film and television is disappearing and will disappear completely at some point. We get to make a movie every episode. Yet, what we also have going for us is beautiful longevity of character development that can play out over a season of shows. So, we get to live in nuanced moments that movies often don't have time for. Especially movies that have as much action as the Trek movies have in them. End quote. Along that vein, Kurtzman discussed the possible future of Trek movies in a red carpet interview with TrekMovie.com. Quote, I think that the movies we made were perfect for the time that we made them in. And now things have changed. The world has changed. Ideals have changed. And so the question would be, how do you make it worth going to the movies for? I would approach it more from the point of view of what kinds of stories can't we tell on television that are better for the screen, end quote. So when I first heard that Discovery was going more cinematic and, I, and we saw the short tracks and their cinematic aspect ratio, I was actually a little worried because I was like, but I like my Star Trek TV to be TV. Like, it can be good TV, but I like it to be TV. And so I was a little concerned that they were going to go a little bit too cinematic with it. But I'll be honest with you, I really enjoyed season one. I really enjoyed episode one of season two. And I even commented to somebody as a positive about the episode. It was like I was watching a really good Star Trek movie. It was true. I, I feel like it looked and felt like a Star Trek movie. But like you said, it had time for nuanced moments and character moments. So I'm act I actually feel a lot better about this. I think that this is going to change the priorities for Star Trek, meaning I think it's, it's going to be highly unlikely we're going to see any Star Trek movies in the near future that are not from Kurtzman's development team. So I don't want to talk too much about the first episode of season two, because we're going to get to that in our on-screen segment. I do wonder actually about what you said Anthony about you know what's what's the place for Star Trek movies anymore because and he's absolutely right with where television is moving towards a cinematic feel what does a movie bring you except a longer episode especially when you're talking about seasons that are what do we call it uh, not it's not episodic it's a serialized it, one, serialized so you're talking about it's a 14 hour movie <sighs> is pretty long broken up into chunks uh versus a two-hour movie like what do you get and and the reason i i wanted us to kind of ask that question is because i remember when star trek was small and i kind of miss when star trek was small and have we just got rid of that idea is that just not what 
is that just not what television is anymore, is small. Because it used to be small TV, big old films. Now we've got big old TV. Where is small now? Do we do small films? I think that over the course of the last 10 years, the concept of going to the theater is not necessarily what it was in, you know, the turn of the millennia and then in the 90s, right? We went to the theater for big budget or expansive storytelling that could not be done on on a typical television budget. This reminds me a lot of Star Trek Online, right? Star Trek Online is a game that has been out now for nine years. Cryptic Studios could very easily continue to have produced the same style of content that they did year one. But no, every year they one-up themselves and the game becomes more attractive, more beautiful, more enhanced, more engrossing, more immersive. You know, let's not forget when you were able to repel down a rock face. That was amazing. That was like, wow, <laughs> I can't believe that. And that was, you know, six years later, right? Six years after mm -hmm. its launch. Television is now the new theater. The cost of a, of a 65 inch or 55 inch high definition television is not what it was 10 years ago. You can now have a home theater system in your own home at a modest price. So there is clearly a shift in the way television is telling its stories to be much more cinematic. And Star Trek has to adapt to that. The problem with Discovery, and this is perhaps what, I, what I'm understanding you saying in terms of Star Trek, can Star Trek be small again? No, I don't think it can because it has to adapt to the changing times. And the challenge that Star Trek has is the challenge it had in for Deep Space Nine. And the challenge it had for more, actually just, just Deep Space Nine. What is sticking to story, sticking to the core value of what Gene, the vision that Gene Roddenberry had as we understand it without, or rather adapting without sacrificing the vision as we understand it that Gene Roddenberry had. Can that be told in small screen format? Yes, but don't spend all your money on the CGI and don't spend all your money on the explosions. I think, and like you said, Kenna, we'll get into this in, in later on on screen. I think the first episode of, of season two did a really, did a pretty good job balancing that. No, it did Balancing the We'll come on to that. Okay, we'll talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, and, and when I say that, I mean definitely compared to season one. <laughs> definitely compared to season one. So, yes, there is a there is a shift, a very real shift. I think I, a, an article popped up the other day on my, on my feed about, you know, why aren't millennials going to the theater anymore? Yeah, well, don't charge... $40 for a, for a popcorn and two sodas, and, and maybe millennials will start going to the theater again, right? It, it, there is an impracticality to even going to the theater because of how expensive it's gotten. So TV has been filling that gap. Places like Netflix have been filling that gap. And Star Trek needs to adapt without sacrificing its core values. Oh my God, I disagree with absolutely everything you're saying right now. <laughs> going, it's like, I don't even know where to start. We'll maybe do an after hours at some point. I think also that there's a bit of an age difference, right? Mm -hmm. I'm the youngest of the team. Yeah. So there, there, I remember the days of going to the theater, right? I remember the days of it being a thing to do. Like, let's go see this movie. Oh my gosh, how exciting that is. The only time I do that is for a Marvel movie. Like the only time I really say, I, I have to go see that in the theater. Otherwise, I just say, no, I'm going to wait until it comes out on Netflix or Hulu. The theater experience has changed. And when, when I mention age, I'm wondering if you're like, if, if no, it's more like, I'm not insulted. get off my lawn. No, I actually, I just think you're wrong. Um, I don't, 
I don't think that that experience has changed because I still view going to the theater. The reason I go to the theater is when there's a movie that I know I want to see in that rich detail that I want to be like so immersed in that I, I don't want to have, you know, my bills laying there on the corner of the table and stuff like that. So for me, the, the experience of going to the cinema really hasn't changed. There was a time period when I didn't have that much money and it was a bit tricky. But now, you know, for a date night or for a night out or for a, a you know, an afternoon with the family, absolutely, it's a destination. And the film that I go to see has to be worth it. The problem is when television starts encroaching on that big production feel, what story is there left to tell that's going to be worth going to see it in the cinema? And, you know, the and I don't, I don't know what the answer to that is. And my fear is, especially off the back of S.J. Clarkson leaving, that we're never going to have another Star Trek film because TV needs to cool its boots. <laughs> And it's that that it worries me because I like seeing Star Trek on the big screen. So I think there's a couple of things here. One, this is a natural extension of what the creators of Star Trek have done in the past. When Voyager was on the air, Michael Piller would go and he would watch other shows. He'd watch The West Wing. He'd watch ER. And then he would look to see what other television shows were doing and the style of the time. And then he would apply that to Voyager. We got more walk and talks. We got more um, single take shots going through corridors into a room. We got different angles, more handheld. They really adapted to the evolution of television at the time. The same thing kind of happened in Enterprise, but I don't think they went far enough, and that was one of the reasons why Enterprise was not as well received. And I feel like that what Discovery is doing is just the natural evolution of television. Game of Thrones really changed a lot in that sort of high-end production, high-quality, cinema-esque television on the small screen. And when CBS wanted to launch, to really launch their all-access service, they wanted something big and bold at that level, and they chose Star Trek. And that's why we have Discovery. So I feel like this is a natural evolution of television as it is. But it's still about the story and still about the writing, and that's what it always needs to be. Will, will we see another Star Trek film? We absolutely will see another Star Trek film. You know why? Because people like money. Executives like money. Studios like money. And at some point, they're going to think to themselves, hey, we could make a lot of money if we did another Star Trek film, and then we'll get another Star Trek film. Well, that brings us to an amazing community question this week, and we expect a lot of replies on this one. Does Star Trek still have a place on the silver screen? Or have advances in television production made Star Trek movies a thing of the past? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO397. Or you should follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, because we post our community questions there. And when we do, not only should you answer, but you should share it with your friends and let them know that they can be a part of the conversation too. So if you couldn't find After Trek on CBS All Access, it wasn't just you. Website TrekCore.com is reporting that the troubled post-discovery episode talk show After Trek has been cancelled and will be replaced by a live feed on CBS All Access's official Facebook page. The new feed will feature, quote, weekly Facebook live chats with series stars, producers, and creative talent, end quote. As we record this episode of Priority One, the first After Trek replacement live feed is due to air this week, following Discovery's second Season 2 episode. It was widely reported in June of 2018 that After Trek, hosted by Matt Myra, was to be reimagined, but it was expected to return, not be replaced. 
While no word on the specifics of the new feed have been revealed, including the host or format, it is worth noting that Star Trek Discovery has taken to this platform before. In May of last year, creature designers Neville Page and Glenn Hetrick streamed live on Facebook, answering questions, giving insight on design, and teasing some of what was to come. The CBS All Access Facebook page also streamed the red carpet premiere of Star Trek Discovery Season 2, so if you want to view that or the previous Hetrick and Page live stream, check out the show notes for a link. I'm surprised that they couldn't find a budget or a format that would work for this. I mean, there it was not sustainable to continue to fly Met Myra from LA to New York on Sundays just to do After Trek. I mean, that the fact that they did that that was bonkers. Yeah, I mean that's bonkers. That's, that's not. A, that's I mean just, that has. I that has little to do with it. Uh, oh, sure, fine. I just it's a lot of money, and the, I don't think the I can't imagine that the ROI was there for that. The return on investment. I I liked After Trek in in a lot of ways. I think Matt Myra was a little awkward. Well, he's a Star Trek fan, so yeah. That doesn't. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I was just, I'm being disparaging the Star Trek fans, of which I am one, so just, yeah. Wow. Moving on. But, you you know, Matt Meyer was a little awkward on the show, and it tried really hard to find its place. I think that After Trek needed to do more with, along the lines of Talking Dead, for instance, where you got some, you got some great snippets of information looking ahead, you know, spoilers and, and really great analysis within the episode. And After Trek just didn't deliver with that. It just did not. So I'm curious, to, I'm cautiously optimistic about but, these live streams. Here, I mean, I really hope it's not somebody walking around with a web... A mobile phone, just you know, putting it in people's faces, all shaky. No, it, like, it's, like a it's bad not going to be. Meeting. No, listen, it's not. It's not about After Trek. I mean, I think it was probably going to be reimagined. Matt Myra probably left. We don't know. Um, it, you can still do the same show on a different medium, and one of the hugest things that CBS All Access is going to gain by moving off of television or CBS All Access onto social media is that people can share these posts. They can embed them in their website. They can share them with their friends. They can go, hey, my friend Joe, check out what Sonequa Martin-Green said about Doug Jones. You know, that that you can't do with the CBS All Access, just the streaming video. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, yeah, future... All television is is streamed on social media like this because you can just take the whole thing and reshare it. And and people can click straight through to see it. I think it's a really, really smart move on their part. And the production value doesn't have to go down because you, I mean, we're doing like hangouts on this show because it's easy, but you can just as easily take a live feed from a proper studio and stream that. It's 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 no different. That I think is the exact reason why they're doing this. I kinda hit it right on the head. They, the show was not, well, and actually you had it right too, Elijah, the, 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 the return on investment was not what they wanted. And so that's why, that's why they wanted to reimagine it. And then they're deciding on this, I think was, after a lot of discussion, they just decided that this was the best avenue to take. And I think that it's going to be less production cost and, and, and a better return on investment. And, and the, the quality will probably be the same. And I think that's all, it's, all, it's all of those things rolled into one. So we're all right. Well, you're all right. I'm just telling you that you're all right. I'm also more right, right. than either of you. I don't disagree. Well, that's it for this week's news from the Star Trek multiverse. Now let's find out what happened this week in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer status report. Status. 
Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Star Trek Online is celebrating its ninth anniversary, and that means a plethora of activities and rewards, both new and old. Of course, returning for this event is the Omega Molecule Stabilization Minigame. Travel to various locations in Star Trek Online and stabilize Omega particles of three different colors to collect Omega particles. Using the R&D system, you can then combine these traces into Omega fragments then into Omega Shards, and finally into Omega Upgrade Kits. These kits are some of the best tech upgrades in the game, and while this minigame can be frustrating at times, we strongly recommend taking that time to collect these materials, especially if you have any gear that is in need of upgrading. Once every 20 hours, Q will assign you three zones to stabilize Omega Particles in. Completing this task, this mission from Q, will also grant you the 9th Anniversary Prize Voucher, along with the usual Party Popper and special emotes. This year's Party Popper summons a Balloon Sarcophagus ship. The emote pack will grant you one of the Anniversary emotes from last year's event, in addition to the new Finger Guns emote, Pew, 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 pew. Close. It's more like, it's more like, hey, I'm looking at you. In addition to the Omega Daily, each of the new Mirror of Discovery missions, Parapachem and Illusion of Communication, will reward you another 200 prize vouchers upon the first playthrough. I, I want to get this clear because I logged in today and did the mission again under the impression that I was going to get a prize voucher or another 200 uh, vouchers. <laughs> nope. And that's not the case. Nope. So it's twofold. You earn these vouchers twofold. One of them is the first time you play the new missions, Parapachem and Illusions of Communication, you will get 200 prize vouchers each. Isn't it each? Correct. Each. So if you do both of them, you'll get a total of 400 prize vouchers to 400. start 400, yeah. right. And then the daily prize voucher collection for the new ship is to do the stabilize Omega part. Yep. yep. Right? So don't log into the game on day two thinking you're going to play the, replay the mission and earn another 200 vouchers because that's not going to happen. That's correct. And the daily will give you 40 vouchers. So similar to the Winter Wonderland ship, um, it's just they give you these, these two missions to sort of help jumpstart you and get you closer to that goal. The confusion is that in previous events, sometimes it's like the weekly mission will give you a new reward or additional rewards or play it daily and but they're not doing it. They're not, that, that's not the way this works. Play the mission once, you get, or play both missions once, you get 400 vouchers. And then after that, you don't have to replay the mission. In order to get the new ship, earn the 40 vouchers by, by doing Q's Omega Particle daily. And that's how you get the ship. Correct. And, and just in case anybody's wondering, we'll be talking about the new missions on next week's show. We're, we're going we're gonna to let people have a week to, uh, to play them out. So uh, Once you've collected the 1,000 vouchers, you can run the event reputation project for the Tier 6 Vulcan to Pow scout ship. This is an account-wide unlock. And as with the prototype Walker class and mirror escort carrier before it, this is another scaling starship. 
So any captain can pilot this ship once they complete the tutorial. The Tapau scout ship comes equipped with the universal console rebounding resonant frequencies. When activated, the target is blasted with negative energy that lingers for a short time. This will cause any damage they deal to be reflected back at them. While the console is equipped, it also boosts maximum hit points and weapon hull penetration. Once you reach level five in the Tapau Starship Mastery, you'll be granted the Starship Trait Emergency Response Teams. While slotted, whenever a shield facing is depleted, you gain an amount of secondary shields for 30 seconds. During this time, whenever a science or intel ability is activated, it will heal your hull and shields. For a full list of stats and details, check out the show notes. So if anybody's not familiar with this ship, it's the Vulcan ship that Sarek takes on his diplomacy mission in the Discovery episode, Lethe. And it's cool because it, I, I actually kind of like this ship because it has that Vulcan style that's a mix of the Vulcan ships from Enterprise along with the the cleaned up Vulcan ship from a couple of TNG episodes from Unification where they're sending the, you know, the fake armada in or whatever. So I actually really like it and I plan on using it on one of my characters. The Tardigrade Adoption Agency has announced that those little space babies we've been hearing about in those email correspondence are coming home. Home to you. If you took the which tardigrade should I adopt test before the holidays, you should now be receiving an email containing a code. Once the code is redeemed, you can claim your tardigrade from the promotions tab in the C-Store. Don't worry if you didn't take the test, because you can purchase an adoption authorization for one of those random breeds, Smarty, Skipper, Party, Artie, or the Lieutenant. All you have to do is throw down some lobi into the Lobi store. Have you received your tardigrade yet? Oh, I did. Uh, interestingly enough, so they launched the codes, I think a day early. So Ambassador Kel hit Twitter saying, hey guys, if it didn't work before, wait till the ninth anniversary starts and redeem your codes then. So something something went haywire with the initial code launch, but I waited the day like I saw on Twitter and I got my lieutenant. I got I got my, my lieutenant, lieutenant too. He's oh, got it. Oh. So and they're I like they're smaller than the Discovery Starter Pack tardigrades. So they and oh, right, they just look right. so great. I I'm, I was so excited when I found out this happened. And interestingly enough, the the ninth anniversary update happened on a Wednesday, which is kind of odd. Right. Well, yes, but I've also noticed that they've been doing that more recently for big patches and big events uh, for the last two years or so. It's not on a Thursday anymore. It's either it's happening on a Wednesday or a Tuesday or just just an odd day. Uh, we're all used to patching on a Thursday for those of us who've been playing the game for for the last nine years. But they've been shifting things around, uh, and I think it's a combination of of identifying server load problems and also accommodating to Priority One Podcasts <laughs> I, schedule. I mean I, that last part I oh, can't confirm the... nor deny. That there's never been a statement released, but that's I'm the first go thing I that. thought of because I was like, oh, this is great. Because I write this segment, you know, Wednesday, Thursday. So this is perfect. Keep keep it up, guys. Good job. Speaking of the recent anniversary patch for the PC, we'd like to highlight a few items. As mentioned before, the new Personal Endeavor system is now available. Each player should have received one perk point to demonstrate how the stat increases will work. Also, the Battle of the Binary Stars is now a regular TFO and is available to play at advanced and elite difficulty. Previous anniversary ship projects have been updated to accept the ninth anniversary vouchers for completion. And also coming in this patch were some updates to the skin and hair textures. 
So one thing I wanted to point out specifically is I actually did not know for the last couple of years, I don't know when they started doing this, but that the if you didn't finish one of the special ship projects, either from Q's Winter Wonderland or the RISA event or the anniversary event, that if it was still in your projects queue, you could use the current year vouchers for that project or the following year's vouchers for that project. Yeah, but that it's tricky because that that doesn't apply for all special it, event reputation it does. projects, it, it, right? It, so, it applies for the ship ones, for all of them. Yeah, I have a few in my in my queue that, that I haven't been able to contribute to. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what I can contribute to after I try to earn this ship. Something I want to talk about, two things actually, is TFO's advanced and elite difficulty versus missions advanced and elite difficulty. I played the two new missions this week upon launch. And for whatever reason, I was like, you know what? I'm going to throw it in elite. I've been, I can do 80K DPS very easily. I'm going to do it in elite. I should be fine. Yeah, no. There is no incentive to playing any story mission on elite. If you're playing normal, great. Advanced if you want a little bit of a, of a challenge. But if, if you're not dealing out DPS above 60K, playing a story mission on elite, you're, you're doubling or tripling the time it takes to complete the mission. And the return on investment simply is not there. It just, it's just not. I replayed them today and did it on advanced and it was just, it was a much more enjoyable experience. The other thing I wanted to mention was the Endeavor system. It was it was a little interesting for me because when I opened it up, it had it had seemed as though I had already completed the the Endeavor system. I, this might have been a bug. So if you open up the Endeavor system for the first time and it looks like you completed the project, and you're wondering, well, is this a is this a gimme? Is this like a freebie? It's probably a bug where it looks like you completed those three separate projects, those three personal projects, and you still have to do them. You only get one, and that's one perk to include in the endeavor. That's it. That's all you get. The first one perk. Everything else you have to earn. The perk is the perk is just a free a free one perk, and then you have to level up right, right. your personal endeavor XP to get an, an, another perk. This weekend on PC, captains can earn marks battling in the Borg Red Alert event. Engage the Borg from now until Monday, February 28th for those bonus marks. Next weekend, January 31st until February 4th, take advantage of a double XP weekend. Then from February 7th to Monday, February 11th, earn 50% more commendation XP during a junior officer appreciation weekend. Captains on both PC and console can save 15% on keys and key bundles in celebration of the ninth anniversary. This sale lasts from now until Thursday, January 31st, and as a special bonus, when purchasing a 20 key ring bundle, you will also receive an ultimate tech upgrade, which as you know, will set any piece of gear to maximum quality, usually Mark 15 and gold. And this weekend on console, captains will have their own double XP weekend from now until Monday, January 28th. Next weekend on console, players will have their junior officer weekend from the 31st to February 4th. Also on console, from now until Tuesday, January 29th, the Phoenix prize pack will be available. Once per day, players can claim a free Phoenix prize pack from their favorite Ferengi merchant on Drizana Station. They can also purchase additional prize packs from the Dilithium store. Each pack contains one of those special ships that we were just talking about, and they can only 
only be acquired from this prize pack now. Even if you don't get that special ship, the Phoenix Tech upgrades make this event well worth the participation. In other gaming news on the mobile front, Star Trek Timelines is also celebrating its third year anniversary. If you haven't logged into the game since January 17th, you can do so now to collect your free legendary Seven of Nine in her silver outfit, along with the anniversary two-part event, which adds Five of Twelve from Voyager, Assimilated Lieutenant Hawk from First Contact, and an assimilated version of Deanna Troy. There is also a new Borg story arc as part of the main story content. This weekend, you can participate in the second part of the anniversary event, Temporal Trespassers, with featured characters Captain Braxton, Incognito Kirk, he may be wearing shades, he may not be, and 1701 Jadzia Dax from the DS9 episode Trials and tribulations. And continuing their line of Star Trek games, Looney Labs will be releasing a Deep Space Nine Flux in quarter two of 2019. This is a standalone version of the Flux game, and it is not clear yet if there will be an additional expansion to help this version play with the other versions of Star Trek Flux. There is no set release date, but the game should retail for around $20. Well, that's it for this week in Star Trek gaming news. Don't forget, we're giving you all a week to play the new ninth anniversary missions involving Captain Sylvia Killy. So be sure to play him because we're going to be going quite in depth next week. Now let's see what's on screen with season two, episode one of Star Trek Discovery. On screen. Well, captains, welcome to On Screen, where we dissect the latest episode of Star Trek. This week, Star Trek Discovery, season two, episode one. Brother. The USS Discovery, under active command of Saru, receives guests. Captain Christopher Pike, Commander Nan, and Science Officer Connolly beam over from the USS Enterprise, which was disabled following a mysterious calamity. Spock, Burnham's brother and the Enterprise's science officer, is notably absent. Pike takes command of the Discovery, and they set off to investigate an active Red Burst, one of seven found throughout the galaxy. When they reach their destination, however, they find an odd asteroid and the wreckage of the medical frigate USS Hiawatha, but no red burst. We meet Jet Reno, the Hiawatha's chief engineer, and some of the Hiawatha's injured crew. Everyone is evacuated from the doomed medical ship, but not before Burnham gets hot shrapnel through her leg, and the vision of some kind of red angel. Back on the Discovery, Burnham requests permission to go to the Enterprise so that she can speak with her foster brother, Spock, but she's told by Pike that Spock is on leave. She goes anyway, rifles through her estranged brother's personal effects, and finds a cryptic log entry from Spock and a map to the Seven Red Bursts. The end. I thought that this episode was a great restart to the entire series. This episode reintroduced us to the entire bridge. Everyone on the bridge was given a very specific and unique role in this episode. Things that we had not seen in season two. Things that we were we were kind of missing from a Star Trek show, right? The, the, the concept of, of a bridge and its uh, cohesiveness and how well everybody on the bridge works off of one another. But that's not the only thing that, that made me feel like this was a great restart. The way the story unfolded, again, almost reintroduced us to 
the discovery and now Christopher Pike, there was a significant amount of peril in this episode. Like, holy crap, so much peril. Left and right, something was happening, nonstop. And Alex Kurtzman, almost word for word, ripped off the 2009 JJ verse with the whole little pods thing. That was the parachuting in 2000. Can you rip off something that you already wrote? I guess not. No, but he reused it again. <laughs> but he reused it again, and I thought that was a little lazy. But, you know, it told the story. It moved the story forward. Kenna, to your point earlier in, in Trek It Out, and also Anthony's point about how big can Star Trek get on the small screen, I thought that there were there were moments like when they were walking down the corridor and they look up and, you know, the commander, the, the one commander says, oh, uh, we see now where the Starfleet dollars are going. And then later in the turbo lift, that slip and slide thing, the Discovery looked way bigger in those scenes than it should have been. Like that, the, the, the scale perspective was insanity. Like how big is this ship? Did we need those? Those felt like the beer, the brewery in, in JJ-verse. Like it was just over the top. But overall, again, I enjoyed the arc that Pike went through, being introduced to a new crew and taking command of a ship that they didn't expect to have anybody command other than Saru. Well, and I liked not, some of the I liked a lot of the nuances. That's not that true. The Ensign they were on their way to pick up their new captain. <laughs> but you're right. You're, you're oh, right. True, so they, true, they, true. They, they knew that Saru was only the acting captain for a little while. So I liked a lot of Anson Mount's nuances as an actor and how he treated Pike. There were these things that I would look up to and go, you know what? I'd follow him. I'd do it. I'd go. But again, my biggest takeaway is that I felt that this was a, a rebirth for Discovery. And I think that we're going, I'm hoping that we're going to see a much more cohesive arc in season two. And if so, this is a great launch for it. Well, one thing that I wanted to talk about, I agree with, um, hopefully we'll get to see a nice cohesive arc for the rest of the season. One of the things that I think they actually did pretty well was actually they got all of the callbacks like out of the way <laughs> in the first episode. Right, so um, right. I, um, Anthony, you and I both, we wrote down some of the sort of callbacks Star Trek Easter eggs. Um, the ones that I noticed were they, they talked about uh, that short trek, The Brightest Star. They talked about Saru's sister. They quipped about the, the uniforms and Burnham said kind of like, oh, very colorful. They did that whole misdirection thing with the red shirt and like you're absolutely uh, sure what's her face is gonna die and then the yep, and then the, yep. the, the the jerk face science officer gets it. it uh, was sorry, so good. spoiler alert. Um, and uh, the whole Pike's catchphrase thing hit it. Like I really hope that was kind of like a joke, a bit of fan service, sort of getting all of that crap out of the way. Yeah, they they also mention Ensign Lieutenant Jerkface also mentions Cations which is the first time we've ever heard that species named in dialogue. We've previously seen Cations in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, as a member of the Federation Council, I believe. And we saw the dancer on Nimbus III that was also a Cation. And then we saw two lovely, wholesome young ladies at the beginning of Star Trek Into Darkness that were also Cations. My favorite callback was probably towards the end when Pike finds one of Lorca's fortune cookies, fortunes from his fortune cookies, and it says, not every cage is a prison, not every loss eternal. And I really liked that because I felt like there were moments in this episode that were direct results of the cage, of, of the events that happened in the cage, 
and also of the Enterprise not being in the Klingon War during that time. So did the cage happen already? Yeah, the cage happened two years before this episode. So in okay. 22... In 2254, the cage happened, and then and then Discovery now takes place in 2256. You know what's funny? When I saw that scene, I wish my mind would have reached that depth of philosophy and Trek immersion. But where my mind went to was, Jesus, does the, the Discovery doesn't have a rumba? <laughs> yeah, uh, nobody's nobody's like tidied up a little bit since Lorca kind of went nuts and killed everybody and you know yeah um I want to clarify so there's a there's a moment in there uh, they, they talked about Pike and having sat out the war with the Enterprise and that was a little bit misleading and I'm kind of um looking forward to them them being CBS etc clearing this up because the 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 script that Pike says he actually says I didn't sit out the war with my crew just to stand down now. Okay, that's fine. But I don't know if you were aware, but there's a there's a novel coming out at the end of uh, end of July, I believe, that was written in conjunction. It's one of these ones that's sort of semi-canon. It's kind of written in conjunction with the CBS writers, and it's called The Enterprise War. And it talks about the time period when everyone else was doing the Klingon War and the Enterprise wasn't. And I just want to read you a quick little excerpt um, from the plot of it. Hearing of the outbreak of hostilities between the United Federation of Planets and the Klingon Empire, Captain Christopher Pike attempts to bring the USS Enterprise home to join in the fight. But in the hellish nebula known as the Pergamum, the stalwart commander instead finds an epic battle of his own pitting ancient enemies against one another, with not just the Enterprise but her crew as the spoils of war. So this is kind of... This novel is coming out that implies that they were trying to get back for the war... Uh, but then his line in here, he implies that they were told to sit out or forced to sit out or chose to sit out. I can't quite tell. So that's something that I, I'm hoping we find out more about as the season goes on. Well, Burnham even mentions that the Federation thought of the Enterprise as a last resort. So that they so it's it implied that the Fed, that Starfleet told the Enterprise not to come back or not to get involved in the war just yet. So can I do a quick callback to what we were talking about earlier and on screen? And there's a story about um, talking about how Michael Burnham is trying to find her place in the universe in this season. And it's implying that there's going to be this sort of examination of faith slash religion and uh, versus science. Does anybody remember when Lorca wasn't allowed to say God? (laughs) (laughs) Janet Reno's line when they first find her is thank Christ you're here and I was like wow that stuck out like a sore thumb and I don't know whether that was deliberate or not the Lorca thing I'm pretty sure was a character reason not a not anything else that's not what the headline said when when this first when that right the headline was specifically like oh no you know Gene Roddenberry never allowed God to come into the show Uh, we covered it. We covered it on Priority One. I think if you follow up further with those articles, it was it was a character reason that that Lorca, the character of Lorca, would not say that. 
but the thing is, would the character of Jet Reno say that either? I mean, I, 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 we have no answers to this. It may be nothing. It may be a throwaway line. We don't know. But with Alex Kurtzman talking about faith and religion versus science, then here we have an engineer whose like first line on screen goes, thank Christ you're here. Then, And from everything we've known about Star Trek up to this point, that like Christ wasn't a thing at the in this era, you know? So... I, it, it feels significant to me. It may just be colloquial. I don't know. I think it's a way for the characters to be more accessible to a wider audience is what is is how I feel. Like when I watch it and they talk like that, the first thing I think is, oh, they, they want these characters to be more relatable to a modern audience. So I'm like, I don't know. I'm less concerned about it. The other thing that I wanted to point out and that I mentioned to Elijah earlier in some off some off air discussions was that at this point in the production process, Aaron Harberts and Gretchen Berg are still the creative leads for these episodes up until the middle of season two. And I know that I think Gretchen Berg was the one who wouldn't allow Lorca to say God. So she's still involved at this point in these I mean she wrote this episode. She co-wrote this episode with Aaron Harvard. So I think that these these are deliberate changes to Discovery. And and as Elijah said, he, he sees this as a reboot. I see this more of the first page of chapter two in a, in an ongoing story. I feel like you know, season one was about nature versus nurture, Michael Burnham discovering who she is, and us earning that that Starfleet feeling for lack of a better term. And now that we've got that now, you know, Michael Burnham needs to find her place in the universe. And also the crew of discovery needs to prove themselves as a Starfleet crew. And uh, particularly that action sequence that I agree felt lifted right out of Star Trek 2009. But the difference for me was that it felt like it had purpose the purpose of that scene was so that the crew of Discovery could prove to Pike that they can get the job done. So, Anthony, why don't because we're we're coming up against time, and I don't want to I don't want to go over ground that we've already covered. I think Elijah, you've given us sort of an overview of what you thought of this episode. Anthony, why don't you sum up for us? You know, overall, you know, what was your favorite and least favorite thing, and what are your thoughts? On, an, on the episode overall. As I've said before on the show, my favorite episode of Discovery is Magic to Make the Sinus Man Go Mad until this episode. This is now my new favorite episode. I thought this had everything in it that I wanted from a Star Trek Discovery episode. I love Pike. I want more Pike. I'm glad he's in it for the whole season. It felt more Star Trek to me, and I'm and I'm happy about that. Um, and I And I'm looking forward to seeing how they integrate Spock into this show and, and how this show ultimately will fit into canon. So I liked it. Yeah, overall, um, I actually agree with you. I liked I liked the episode. I think that the writers are trying way too hard. There were a couple of plot holes that really took me out of the action. Um, it didn't make sense to me why Burnham was even allowed to be in Spock's room. I thought that was a... a tremendous invasion of privacy and they also had a bad habit of way over explaining it was the ds9 tell don't show itis or something and i and i wanted to just shout back at them stamets advice which was i will say fewer things because it was just over the top 
But the other comment I had written down was that they put action at the expense of story. I thought it was light on story. I thought it was heavy on action and lots and lots of wordy things. But if you don't think about it too hard, I thought it was enjoyable. It was easy to watch. And there's some really cute, fun moments in there that made me kind of optimistic for the rest of the season. The last thing I want to add is about Tig Natero's portrayal of of Jet Reno. Uh, She did an interview, I believe it was with uh, Stephen Colbert, where she talks about how little she knows about Star Trek and how the techno babble is just, you know, she's saying lines essentially. Given her, you see, she's not playing Jet Reno, she's playing, I think it's just, it's Tignatero, right? It's Tignatero playing the character. I don't think that, I don't know, again, this is from the short first episode, but even if she does, even if it is Tignatero, and not Jet Reno or intertwined, right? If it's just the actor being the actor, I think it works because there is a dismissal about her, right? About the, her, about that character. There's a dismissal about the things that she says that I don't care what I'm saying. Just know that I know more than you, right? There's this not. I wouldn't call it arrogance. It's not arrogance. It's just it's confidence. She's very confident. Co- the, uh, yeah, maybe. I don't. She's I, maybe, bones. Yeah, maybe confidence. Sorry, she's bones. Yeah, oh. she's bones. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. that's amazing. Yes. Yes. By the way, she is bones. By the way, the, the part was specifically created for her. So there was never any question as to who was going to play this character. It was always going to be her. Yeah. So it, when when things like that happen, it's you're not hiring a, an actor to play something else. You're hiring that that actor to be that to be just be you. Be you and deliver these lines like you would. Um, and I think that works. I think they're writing this character specifically for, for Tig and because uh, we're on first name basis. And and that that worked really well in, in this this introduction to this character because she knows that nobody knows, but she knows. So that's what matters. So kudos to Tig Notaro and that casting and creating that character for her. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be refreshing. I think it's gonna be really refreshing. I, I hear from a lot of people that the Jet Reno character was their favorite part of the show, of the episode. And I I, I definitely hope she's back for more. I, I have a feeling we're only going to see her, you know, once or twice. But, man, I would love it if she was, like, the chief engineer of the Discovery. That'd be great. Did we have an engineer in the first season? Not being funny. I know we had Stamets, but he's a science officer. We didn't have an engineer, did we? I don't believe there was ever a... There might have been one mentioned by name, but I don't think we ever saw one. And it was because it was because of what you said. Uh, Stamets was the one in charge of the propulsion system, which was a you know whatever. And that was the that was the engine room. So it's kind of I've always, I always thought it was odd that we never met the chief engineer. And now that that space is technically being turned back into uh, an engineering space and not a not a science facility. Um, It'd be perfect to introduce a new chief engineer character. And look, they already have one, so done. Ta-da. <laughs> Hopefully. It's a good thing that they coincidentally found that lady on a shipwreck in the middle of nowhere that they totally weren't planning to catch up because it's not like anybody needs a chief engineer like all the time or anything. Well, we won't have any specific community question for the review of Season 2, Episode 1 of Discovery, but we do want to know more about what you thought about the episode. Send off in the comments section for this episode at Priority One Podcast. 
facebook.com forward slash PO397 or by replying to our social media posts. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, captains, hailing frequencies are open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. From Sean Newboy on PriorityOnePodcast.com, for the duty officer tip, breaking down green and such, you can also go to your fleet base if you have one. From Facebook, Ron Kinney says, Nothing. Not a fan of Discovery. And we'll be skipping all but the Omega farming. Sad. He didn't say sad. I'm just kidding. What is it about the Omega farming that makes it so addictive? I don't, I, I just... It's those nah, upgrades. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, true, Because let me tell you, that little mini game is a pain. I'm not going to finish that sentence. The, the mini game is just terrible. Um, I mean, it's fine. It's a fine mini game, but it's repetitive and it's just, oh my God, it's a mini game. Millions of them. But those upgrades are just wonderful. And finally this week, we took to Twitter for another hashtag survey Sunday. We asked you, what did you think of the Star Trek Discovery season two opener? And out of 100 votes, 58% loved it, hashtag spectacular. 22% liked it, hashtag piked my interest. 9% said it was okay, hashtag mentorprise. By the way, that's my favorite <laughs> hashtag there. And finally, 11% didn't like it. Hashtag it sarect? Yeah. Sarect. Sarect. Oh, it's sarect. Yeah, okay. That was a bit of a stretch, but still. Uh, nonetheless, uh, it sounds like over great. half of the people who responded actually loved it. So that's um, a great result there. Well, that wraps up episode 397 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, and The Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. But before we go, here's our community question for this week. Does Star Trek still have a place on the silver screen, or have advances in television production made Star Trek movies a thing of the past? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.PriorityOnePodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11.30 p.m. Eastern on Facebook. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, be sure to spend time with Admiral Winters and the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel, where they review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members in our community. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, to earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, new and old. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash priority one. And if you'd like to join the Armada, just visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. 
Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, The Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Brandon Parker, James Golding, Rand Hurl, Daniel Stevens, Skiffy, and Winters. Thanks to producer Jake Morgan for assisting in the writing of our show and social media endeavors, including Title It Thursday and Awesome Survey Sunday. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, and our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Su. No. Engage. What are you laughing at? Uh, Lawrence. Lawrence said that the red bursts were Q with a laser pointer. Oh. <laughs> it's good. It's funny. If I had, I swear to God, if I had a nickel for every time one of you two calls me a <laughs> I would be so, so friggin' rich right now. <laughs> if everybody in chat could see you'd be able our, to, You'd be able to pay if, your internet bills? <laughs> podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network